at the ball game. Yo! Welcome, everyone, to the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. And I'm Lou Blasty, along with Brandon Cameron from Fantastics and Inside of Baseball.com. But you found us on the baseball blog, hopefully. And uh, we've got past episodes of the podcast that you want to listen to. And uh, uh, they're free to non subscribers. So go check out as many as you want. If you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, by all means, subscribe to us so you know when an episode drops because we're not working on a regular schedule here. Brandon, how are we doing today? We're doing well. Uh, how are you doing over there? Very good. Expectations of what we're talking about this weekend, both on the Sirius show and here on our podcasts. And uh, it takes the form today of, on the hitter side, expected batting average. And all of us here on the Sirius XM show and Anthony Perry, who runs Fantastics, our boss, and all the writers at Fantastics have really taken to the StatCast data that we've received the last several years. And I like it because it's very quantifiable. It's There's... Uh, it's very subjective. I mean, very objective. It's just right there in front of you. You can get an idea of what the quality of contact of the player is. And when we get interested is when that quality of contact data, the underlying data, tells us a little bit different story than the results data tell us. And that's basically what this exercise is about. What's the results data in terms of batting average? And what does the quality of contact tell us? And if it's something different, we want to figure out why. Yeah, and we're looking at these expected batting average. What I like about it is it factors in both quality of contact and plate discipline. You know, we spend a lot of time focusing on BABIP, and rightfully so. Um, BABIP is just purely batted balls, um, you know, doesn't factor in, you know, uh, plate discipline. So you have to, you know, if you, you have a BABIP discrepancy, you have to look at that and then also look at plate discipline to kind of give you a better view of this, of this player. Um, well, XBA does both. It, it, it you know, if the guy strikes out a lot, it's going to factor that in. If a guy has uh, a great, you know, we, we, we talked about on the Sirius XM show, a guy like Austin Meadows, um, whose quality of contact well, isn't overwhelming this season, but his uh, plate discipline has been spectacular. So therefore, his XBA is a lot higher than his actual batting average. And that, that's in large part just because he's not at all striking out. And so um, that's that's a factor into this. But, you know, you see all the time. Um, and, and fortunately, we've seen more broadcasts start to bring in some StatCast data into their broadcasts. That's been a positive development I think in major league baseball in recent years, but you'll see, Oh, that hit that the guy just had, had a 700 batting average. Well, that's essentially what we're talking about here is like a guy who hits a line drive at this launch angle to this side of the field, um, is, you know, going to seven out of 10 times land for a hit. And if it doesn't land for a hit, well, that's going to, create an immediate discrepancy between his actual batting average and his expected batting average. So that's kind of the idea here and, and sorting through it in this exercise where we, you know, look at the differences between their expected batting average and their actual batting average just gives you a quick list of, of guys who, you know, maybe pique my interest and I want to look a little further into. It's not the be all end all. It's not the only thing you should look at. It's not really even necessarily something to look at to tell you the skill set of a player because uh, you want to look a little deeper than that. Um, but it's a quick exercise to give us an idea of, of where guys should be and where they actually are. 
No, and we spend a lot of time working between the underlying indicators and the result stats and where we get really interested and where we make our money and where you win fantasy baseball championships is trying to figure out what the story is when the result stats and the underlying indicators tell you different stories. And that's essentially what we're talking about here, especially in terms of batting average. The underlying indicators, according to XBA, tell us what the batting average should be. And we take a look at what the real batting average is, and we're looking at the largest discrepancies, which is literally the results stats telling us a different story than the indicators are telling us. And I don't want to set up any stat, especially an aggregate stat like expected batting average. In other words, when we say, when we give a player's expected batting average, I don't think any of us believe that's what the batting average should be. It's more of a relative term, especially today we're relating it to what the actual batting average is. But what I've found as we've done this on the Sirius show is that you can look, and we're going to look at Paul Goldschmidt here to start the show off, and we've got a lot of history on Paul Goldschmidt, and I found it interesting looking at the expected batting average through the course of his career and his quality of contact throughout the course of his career and the result stats because that's the big thing. That's what makes the game the game, isn't it? That's what drives us nuts is that even with the same type of quality of contact, even with similar expected batting averages, the results are going to vary because as much as we hate it, luck is a factor here. Yeah, and 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 for Paul Goldschmidt, who's having an MVP caliber season, hitting 344 with 16 home runs, um, his BABIP is a career high at 385. Now, Goldschmidt has always had a high, bat- high BABIP, and that's partly because his quality of contact has always been stupendous. Uh, so when he puts the ball in play, he usually hits the ball hard, hits a lot of line drives, and a lot of them end up for hits. Uh, so it's not that the 385 BABIP is terrifyingly high, um, but it's high. It, it, it's higher than it's been. And so therefore, his that, that factors into his expected batting average. Now, his expected batting average is still, you know, a decent batting average, 280. It's just that it's 64 points lower than his actual batting average. So that, you know, sets him up to be number one on our list when we sort easily by, you know, the difference between expected batting average and regular batting average. Um, same thing with expected slugging percentage. His expected slugging percentage is is, is much lower than his actual slugging percentage. Um, his his look his plate discipline is still fantastic. It's always been great for a power hitter. Um, his his swinging strike rates down. Walks are always high. Strikeouts are are, are fairly low. Um, but the big thing is, I, I think again, is that is that BABIP, um, which is which is particularly high. Um, his line drive rate is actually a little bit lower than it, it it typically is, so that would actually tell me that his batting average should be a little bit lower. Um, and and worth noting that his expected batting average last year was two ninety three. It's two eighty this year mm-hmm. currently, um, and his his expected batting average was basically exactly what his batting average was last year. So maybe he is having actually worse, you know, quality of contact this year, very slightly. Um, is, is our, our date rate is down slightly as average exit velocity is down slightly. Um, and again, he's hitting less line drive. So I, I would actually say, you look at what he did last year. And if I'm just looking at that quality of contact, I would say, yeah, he probably should be having a slightly worse year this year. Um, still a very good year. Um, but in reality, he's having a much better year in terms of what his surface statistics are. 
Um, so that tells me there's probably going to be some regression on the horizon. Now, again, I still love what Goldschmidt's doing, and there's still so much to be excited about. I mean, yeah. the home runs are all there, steals a few bases. I still think he's going to have a good batting average, um, but regression's probably coming with that batting average. It's just, it's interesting as we look at this with a player like Paul Goldschmidt that we have so much data on and, and a relatively consistent player. It's really interesting to dive into some of this. In fact, if you go back to 2015, he almost had an identical year to what he's having now with a 279 expected BABIP. It's 280 this year. He's hitting 344 this year. He hit 321 for the season with that 279 expected BABIP. And the quality of contact, as you mentioned, quality of contact has gone down a little bit from last year's season where he hit 294, but he's hitting 50 points higher. It just it serves as a reminder that there are factors in here beyond skill set. And I know I want you to go over what you talked about in the series show about going for skill set because that's process for us. But there's still but you can't lose sight of the fact that there is still some variation, even with an incredibly consistent hitter like Paul Goldschmidt. We've seen lots of uh volatility in his batting average stats and 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 again hitting probably from a standpoint of a skill set standpoint from the quality contact standpoint not quite as good as last year but outproducing last year yeah look there's always going to be again a correlation between BABIP I shouldn't say there's always there's often going to be a correlation between BABIP and expected batting average because they're somewhat linked in that that sense. So if there is a discrepancy, um, oftentimes you can look at the BABIP. And in Paul Goldschmidt's case, in 2019, uh, that was his first season in St. Louis, he had the lowest batting average of his career besides his rookie season. He hit 260. But it was also the lowest BABIP of his career at 303. Again, this is a guy who's traditionally been in the mid-300s in BABIP, and it was 303, and he hit 260, still at 34 home runs and had a nice season, um, but his batting average was down. Well, this year, his BABIP is a career-high 385, and his batting average is right now what would be a career-high at 344. Um, so again, there's the correlation you see with BABIP. But overall, as I was saying on the SiriusXM show, is – my approach to fantasy baseball, like if we just want to take a general overview of things, I, I try to just get the best skilled, the most skilled players. I, I want guys who can hit the ball well. I want guys who have good plate discipline. I want guys who are good hitters. I want pitchers who are good pitchers, who have good stuff, who, you know, don't walk too many guys who are just skilled at, you know, at what they do. It's not always, you know, a perfect solution. You know, we, we, we talked about a guy like Max Kepler on the Sirius XM show who just consistently, for the most part, has underperformed what I would consider his skill set to be. Mm-hmm. He's yep. had one good year where his I think his skills sort of matched what his production was, where he had 36 home runs. Other than that, he's been somewhat underwhelming. But I still want to buy in on a guy like Max Kepler because I'm buying the skill set. Well, Paul Goldschmidt has had an elite skill set his entire career. So if we went back to 2019 and and after that season, when maybe people were starting to write him off, not in terms of he's done, but he's not the batting average guy he used to be. He's not a 300 hitter anymore. He hit 260. I would have said, you know what? His skill set still supports the high batting average. And what did he do? The next year he hit 304 and then he hit 294. And now he's hitting 344. So I still think the skill set supports the power and the batting average. Is there a slight decline in skill set in terms of from last year, this year? It's the slightest of declines, I would argue. Mm-hmm. I do think there is a slight, the, the quality of contact is down slightly from last year. 
Um, now, again, you're not seeing that in the overall production, but I do notice that. So I'm going to at least make that note in my brain is I'm seeing a slight decline. He's 34 years old. He's got a lot of at bats under his under his belt. Um, so I'm seeing the slightest of declines, but I'm not concerned at all. But there's, you know, probably regression coming from this batting average. You would have looked at that, though, in 2019. You would have looked at a a high in the swinging strike rate and a high in his chase rate of the last couple of years. It would have been a career high in chase rate as well. Mm-hmm. And it had gone up in three years, just swinging strike from 8% to 10% to 10% to 11%. Chase rate from 23 to 24 to 28 to 31. That would have looked like a decline in skill right there. It, it, it would have. And again, you, you, that was also like there are intangibles here. It was his first season sure. in St. Louis and, yep. and maybe he was pushing a little bit more. So when you see that chase rate of 31.4%, I would have said, I think he's trying to prove, you know, in big contract, he's trying to prove himself Pressing, here. Yeah. At the same time, um, you know, again, his quality of contact was still good. And I mean, look, now we have the at least the the last couple of years to tell us like this is the same Paul Goldschmidt. The stolen bases maybe even a little bit down, although he did steal 12 bases last year. He's got three this year um, for a big power hitting first baseman. That's always been one of the selling points with Paul Goldschmidt. Um, and I still think he's going to end up with a really good batting average. I mean, he's already, he's third, 344, two and a half months into the season. So um, that doesn't go away. Um, but I do think we're going to start to see regression. And and look, if if we say, okay, let's say by the end of the season, he's going to be back down to probably around 290s, maybe low 300s. Well, that means the rest of the way, he's probably hitting 270s or so. So something to factor in there with Goldschmidt. If you, it's not that I want to sell high in a guy like Goldschmidt, but can you? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe you can sell a little bit high because he's on an MVP pace right now. Um, I don't know if he finishes that way, um, but I still think he's going to be going to finish with a really good batting average. He's going to hit a lot of home runs. Well, it depends on what you're going to value. If you're going to value the batting average column, for example, the way he produces for me in first base being the position that it is at this point and the price you probably got him at, I'm thinking to myself, he could hit 250, he could hit 260, he could t- hit 270 as long as he keeps producing like this. I don't really care. He doesn't have to hit 344 for me. That's just gravy right now. Yeah, it's purely can you sell him, you know, to be, you know, a, a top of the ha- a first round sort of guy, which, which again, he's performed that way um, so far. I don't think he's going to perform that good the rest of the season. But I said this on the Sirius XM show is, you know, he was undervalued in the draft season. And I said that at the time is like, I, I didn't understand why, why Goldschmidt isn't considered one of the elite first basemen anymore. In my mind, he is in my mind, he's on that same tier, certainly as Matt Olson. And certainly this year he's outperformed Matt Olson, but even, um, even Freddie Freeman, I mean, I, I love Freddie Freeman and, and Freddie Freeman has been great, but Goldschmidt's stats and, and his production and his skill set isn't that far off from Freddie Freeman. So everybody was clamoring to get Freddie Freeman at the end of the first round or beginning of the second round. And then you could have waited until the fourth or fifth round to get Goldschmidt. It's like, I would have much rather just waited and grabbed maybe Mookie Betts at where you got Freddie Freeman and, and then wait on, on Goldschmidt. Now that's in the past. Um, but the bottom line is, is, uh, Goldschmidt's having a phenomenal season. He is, he is one of the top first basemen. So yeah, you don't trade him, just trade him because there's going to be some regression. Trade him only if you can get incredible value and you Mm -hmm. have the right first baseman to substitute for him. 
Yeah, that was going to be my question. Who are you playing behind him at this point? But and we should note that expected slugging, he's outperforming his expected slugging too. That's at five sixty three. He's at six thirty one. So he's performing a little bit above the numbers that his quality of contact tells you he probably should deserve at this point. But by the same token, he showed last year at thirty three years old that he that was his best quality of contact, arguably arguably his best quality of contact year ever. So he's got more in him, and I still think we're seeing some of the residual of whatever it is was suppressing power and offense in April and early May. And I could see that quality of contact regressing to something similar to twenty twenty one. I think there might be more gain in some of those quality contacts that's going to offset the regression of luck that he's gotten with the over, you know, the result stats being a little bit better than his indicator stats. And we touched on this in the Sirius XM show. Um, didn't get a chance to go deep into it. It's just his playing time. He's been the model of consistency, yep. the model of health throughout his career. One of the more consistent and healthy players of this generation. Um, just always 550 to 600 at bats, um, hit 602 in 2013, but hit 603 last year at 33 years old. And he's even got the benefit this year of the DH in the national league. And so I think that's a big factor because they have been using that for him to give him essentially a quote unquote day off, you know, a day off from the field, but he still's in the lineup. Um, so from a fantasy perspective, does he hit the 603 at bats he had last year? Maybe not. Cause that's just really hard this day and age to hit, but I'm not going to bet against him hitting 580, 590 at bats. Cause he's been consistently in that mode pretty much throughout his whole career. And that's going to be a good sign for him for the next couple of years with that DH in the national league, which is going to help him remain healthy and help him to accumulate those at bats, which is going to help him to accumulate the counting stats. So Paul Goldschmidt continues to be a quality bat, especially with first base, the way it is right now in his age 34 season. It's it's just incredible. And I, I, we talked about it during the serious show. Remember when we were worried about him, when he left Arizona, what it was going to be like in St. Louis. Yeah, you know, he was going changing ballparks. He was leaving that great Arizona ballpark and going to not great or not great St. Louis ballpark. And what did he do right away? That first season hit 34 home runs. We saw that drop in batting average, which we addressed. The 303 BABIP led to a 260 batting average. But since then, 304 batting average, 294 batting average. And now he's up at 344. And I think he's he's bound to get back into those low to mid 30s in home runs. There was a scene I was just thinking him as of him as a comp for J.D. Martinez. And there was a scene, the Red Sox played the Cardinals yesterday and J.D. Martinez reached first and he gave Paul Goldschmidt a hug and they were sharing a couple of laughs over there, shared a season in in Arizona, shared some time in Arizona together. Can you imagine what the conversations were like between these two great hitters, you know, while they're sitting there in the clubhouse talking over hitting? Yeah, I mean, and they're very similar hitters, um, you know, and, and, and we talk about consistency, you know, it's kind of that same sort of boat, these these strong right-handed hitters who can hit for batting average and and hit for power and have good plate discipline. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Arizona's had a number of good players that they let get away, um, you know, don't want to make any Diamondbacks fans mm-hmm. feel too bad out there. Uh, but I mean, probably their, their trading away of Goldschmidt was the right move, but at the same time, I don't know if it's actually panned out the way they would have liked. Yeah. Goldschmidt was a consistently great hitter. He's been a consistently great hitter throughout his career. JD Martinez kind of found it. That was the kind of different mm-hmm. thing. JD Martinez is kind of made, and I'm not going to say Paul Goldschmidt doesn't work at it because I know he does, but he's, he was just, he's just always been a great hitter. JD Martinez had to get himself there. 
I remember you know, is a little anecdote. So uh, my first time, you know, I've been in sports media for a number of years, and and my first time in a major league clubhouse was in the Diamondbacks. I was I was doing an internship years ago, the year in 2011 when Goldschmidt came up as a rookie, and he came up mid season. And I remember uh, the first time I saw him, and I was just like, oh my god, this guy's massive. Uh, they list him at 6'3", 220, but he's a big man and he's got a lot of power. And this was when he was, you know, a rookie just coming up. Um, but what I've always loved about Goldschmidt is, and from a fantasy perspective, what we've loved is he's got speed. I mean, man, the guy, you know, stole 32 bases in 2016. He's got a number of steals. I love that he stole 12 bases last year as a 33-year-old. He still occasionally gets out there running. Um, so the fact that he's always been able to contribute that, I mean, one of the great fantasy players of the last 10 years, I mean, he's just been consistently great and providing both power and a little bit of speed along with a great batting average. Paul Goldschmidt leads the league currently in differential between X batting average and batting average in terms of having a lower expected batting average than higher expected batting average. Tyler Stevenson is number two on that list with a 245 X batting average. And I just want to check this morning what it is, but his current batting average Average is 305. So he's been, he's outperformed from a batting average standpoint, his quality of contact so far, but we've been singing his praises all spring here on Fantastics. Yeah, man, I wish he was healthy. Yeah, obviously placed on the IL about a week ago and he's going to be out for four to six weeks. Um, but another guy that we talked about uh, undervaluing um, Paul Goldschmidt at the first base position, I, I kept feeling like all offseason Tyler Stevenson was getting undervalued at the catcher position. I think he's an elite catcher. I think he should be, again, in that same conversation as Will Smith and JT Real Muto and, and, and all those, the 950 Toronto Blue Jays catchers that they have. Um, you know, I think Tyler Stevenson is that elite player again, crushing that he's, that he's hurt right now. I've got him on a bunch of my teams and that was disappointing, but, um, what did he do before he got hurt is, uh, put up a three Oh five batting average, um, five home runs again. I don't think he's ever going to turn into like a 25 to 30 home run guy, but he's got a little bit of pop. Um, but he's just a really good hitter in the middle of that reds lineup. That's a bad lineup, but you know, again, it's in a good ballpark and, uh, he's able to take advantage and, and drive in a lot of runs and, and pick up the RBIs. And um, we saw him leave with 31 RBIs and just 42 games played. Um, he's a guy that they'll shift over to first base too to, to try to keep his bat in the lineup and maybe even DH him occasionally to keep his bat in the lineup. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, he is, he is outperforming his XBA, yes, but uh, still... I think that there's there's some serious gains here and some serious things I really like with uh, Tyler Stevenson, um, even though he's hurt. Okay, the next guy on the list here of players who have a higher actual batting average than their expected batting average is Tucker Barnhart with a 58-point differential between his 175 expected batting average and his 233 batting average. Why are we even talking about Tucker Barnhart? <laughs> yeah, because he was a former teammate of Tyler Stevenson, and he's the guy yeah. who kept Tyler Stevenson from playing all those years. Oh, there you um, Yeah, I mean, I, I think deep leagues he's he's probably owned because he is a you know he's a catcher that plays regularly but um, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time his his quality of contact is is quite poor um his his contact rate is pretty good but uh so you know that's kind of part of it here is like he he probably should have a little bit of a better batting average just because he makes contact a decent amount although he strikes out he's still striking out too much um, not a whole lot to pay attention to with Tucker Barnhart. Doesn't yet have a home run, 
Uh, you know, again, he, he benefited from playing in Cincinnati. Now he goes to Detroit where his power is going to be suppressed significantly. And it is, uh, so his ISO is a pathetic Oh 30. Um, he's still going to play regularly because he's a spectacular defensive catcher. Um, and, and, you know, they, they, they acquired him to, to play him, but, uh, yeah, Tucker Barnhart fantasy wise does not have a lot of value. Yeah, and if you're sitting there still looking at 2018, 2019 with the double-digit homers, 10 and 11, just barely double-digit, but still, uh, that was in Cincinnati. It's a different world in Detroit, and basically Tucker Barnhart is a good baseball player, not a particularly good fantasy player. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he's a guy who always, from a, for a catcher, there's always some interest just because he's going to play so much because his his defensive abilities are so important to the real life team and a catcher. Sometimes you're just looking for a guy who's going to be out there. Um, but he's offering so little offensively at this point that I don't even know if like, would you rather have like a guy like Luis Torrens in Seattle who doesn't very much play, but you know, has a little more pop and a little, a little more ability to do something than Tucker Barnhart. Who's really just doing a whole, not a whole lot. Should he have a better batting average? I, the XBA would argue yes. And I, I think that, you know, there's reason to believe that that could be the case. Um, you know, he's got a low BABIP and you know, some other numbers that are probably suppressing his overall statistics. But again, his average exit velocity is 80 under 85 miles per hour. His hard hit rates, 25%. I mean, he's at the bottom of the barrel in terms of his quality of contact. So I, I don't have a lot of interest in Tucker Barnhart. Uh, same question for Luis Gonzalez, who is next on the list with a 57-point difference between his expected batting average of 245 and his actual batting average of 302. So he's gaining some attention with his batting average of 303, but as an outfielder with not much power and some speed, but not enough speed. I don't know. Again, I guess if you, you'd be interested if you value batting average a lot more than I do. Yeah, I mean, look, he, he he's producing right now, um, you know, and been been a decent producer. So uh, in terms of riding the hot hand, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I mean, some of these numbers are going to come crashing down. Um, his quality of contact's pretty poor, as you were kind of alluding to. He makes decent overall contact, um, eighty percent contact rate, and uh, doesn't strike out a whole lot. So that's going to help his batting average. But at the same time, his quality of contact just isn't convincing enough to me uh, to tell me that he's a three hundred hitter. Um, has three home runs and five stolen bases and only one hundred and forty two at bats. That's been nice. And again, that's why I say ride the hot hand. He does have some speed. He's not like an elite speed guy, but you know, I mean, he's he's, he's got some speed, and the, and the stolen bases can be there and. And I like the fact that, again, he, he he walks a bunch and doesn't strike out a lot. So if he can get on base, he could steal some bases. Um, but I don't think the power is really going to develop much. Um, and, and I think that batting average is going to come down. Deep leagues, uh, you know, again, ride Luis Gonzalez. He's he's been he's been hot and he's playing regularly there for the Giants and particularly against righties. He tends to lead off for them. So I like that. Um, but at the same time, I, I think you're, you know, you have to expect some of this stuff to come down. Look, you picked him up, so there's nothing wrong with riding him right now. Mm -hmm. Um, just don't expect the 303 batting average to continue. All right. That brings us to Xander Bogarts, who may be one of the most interesting free agents available on the market this year. If the Red Sox aren't smart enough to re-sign him in the offseason, his expected, his actual batting average is 332. And again, I don't know how sustainable that is for anybody in Major League Baseball these days. So we got we have to expect this to an extent. But his uh, expected batting average is 275 against that 332 actual batting average. And his expected batting average is kind of right in line with where he's been throughout his whole career. 
Um, his, his quality of contact is pretty much right in line with where it's been his whole career. We remember when in April he got off to abysmal start, um, we were a little worried about it then, or some people might've been a little worried about it then. Well, he completely turned it around, got red hot and maybe a little too hot from the way, the type of hitter that he actually is. Now, again, his expected batting average is still a good batting average for, for a you know major league hitter these days, um, but is it the three thirty nine that he's currently at? Eh, I would say probably not. He's got a four oh seven BABIP, a career three thirty six BABIP guy, and again four oh seven BABIP. Well, that BABIP is going to come down, and with it is going to come down his his overall batting average. Again, there's the correlation between BABIP and expected batting average. Oftentimes, they're right in line with each other, especially for a guy like Bogarts who is you know, pretty much performing the way he's performed throughout his career. Are there little differences here and there? Sure. He's got a career high swinging strike rate, right? but it's, you know, everything's kind of about right where it normally is. So he's having the type of season that Xander Bogarts usually has, but he's got a career high batting average because he's got a career high BABIP. And I think the effects of April and the effects of what the Red Sox, Sox were in April and early May and the effects of that time when we were questioning his headspace in terms of dealing with his contract negotiations with the Red Sox, I think that's still playing into these numbers somewhat. Now, I remember going back with the draft advisory program and Xander Bogats was, I don't want to say he was ranked low, but he was ranked, it was kind of surprising to me where he was. And the fact of the matter is he's had a 33 home run season in 2019, but he's not that guy. He's a 20 homer guy and he doesn't steal a ton of bases and he hits for average, but the shortstop position has changed completely in the last couple of years and in terms of in the context of the shortstop position not quite sure how valuable he is especially with the slugging percentage the expected slugging percentage at 444 is one of the lowest of the last several years for him quality of contact hasn't been great and i think Again, I think the effects of April and the effects of, again, his headspace with his contract, whatever was screwing up the Red Sox in general early in the season, I think the effects statistically are still there and play into these numbers a little bit. But I think, and I think you're right, he's basically the player he's always been, but that's going to be a low to mid-20s home run guy with less than 10 stolen bases. Yeah, his isolated power is actually the lowest it's been in five years. It's at 161. Um, you know, he had three straight years, 2018 to 2020, with an ISO over 200. And it was basically 200 last year at 198. And it's down to 161. So he really isn't hitting with the same type of power. Um, again, not something that I'm panicking about, but he's not been a great home run hitter throughout his career. He did have the 33 home run season in 2019. And, and, and that was great. That was in six, with 614 at-bats. Um, now again, he's a guy who plays regularly. He could, he could hit, you know, close to 600 at bats again this year, but hard to bank on that. Um, so he needed 614 at bats to get to 33 homers. He's probably not getting to 33 homers this year. Um, he's only got six right now. So he's probably going to be back in that low twenties home run rate now or home runs, uh, total for the season. Now, I still think the batting average is going to be decent. It's always been decent throughout his career. Um, and again, you can't underestimate what he does in that lineup in runs and RBIs. Um, you know, he, he he should be close to 100 on both of them, or at least certainly runs scored. Um, and that there's value there that those are two categories in a standard five by five league. So I think the run production in a good lineup matters. Um, but yeah, you're, 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 you know, when you're comparing him to some of those other elite shortstops, um, the power's just not going to be there. The stolen bases aren't going to be there. 
So you're really looking at three categories that you're you're addressing, which is batting average, runs, and RBIs. And by the way, and I'm not don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking Xander Bogarts, and I, I don't think Xander Bogarts has declined in any way, shape, or form. I think the context of the shortstop position has changed, and we don't know what the Red Sox lineup is going to look like a year from now. We've got Rafael Devers who could be gone. We've got J.D. Martinez who is most likely gone. At, at, at this point. So if Xander Bogat stays, what is that lineup going to be like in and around him? And is he going to be able to produce the RBIs and the runs that have made him reasonably valuable? Xander Bogats is still Xander Bogats, but he seems like a prime trade candidate to me because I don't know where he's going next year. And if he's with the Red Sox, it's not going to be the same lineup. And basically in the shortstop context, being a mid 20 homers guy and a five, six, seven, eight stolen base guy, I don't know how valuable that is. Yeah, absolutely. In a keeper dynasty league, I, I think he is a tr- he is tradable. Um, I think his name value sometimes over you mm-hmm. know overrates how good he is because again he's just you know I mean he, he Francisco Lindor can hit thirty five home runs like I, again I know Bogarts hit thirty three in twenty nineteen but he's not going to typically hit thirty five home runs. Um, Francisco Lindor can steal fifteen to twenty bases. Mm-hmm. That's not what Bogarts is going to do. Bogarts is going to have better batting average. But, you know, he's just those other shortstops that I I say Francisco Lindor just because kind of they're similar, you know, tier of shortstops. But I think I'd rather have Lindor just because of everything else he does, uh, as opposed to Bogarts, who is a solid hitter, um, but, you know, just not overwhelming in terms of his fantasy production. And like you mentioned, how much does that change if he's either still in Boston with a worse lineup around him or somewhere else? And where is that somewhere else? Um, is it going to be in as good a ballpark as Fenway? I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I'd rather have Francisco Lindor. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. But with this batting average and his name recognition, now might be t- now might be the time to shop him around. Yeah, I, I, I would think that that's, that's fair. And uh, especially, again, redraft leagues, you know, he, he's going to provide the same value, I think. You know, maybe, again, some regression. We're talking about the, the change with that expected batting average, and I think that tells us that maybe there's some regression with the batting average. I mean, we, we have to assume there is. He's not going to hit 339. Um, and, you know, maybe he picks up, though, a little bit in home runs because they've been a little bit suppressed. Either way, um, you know, if you like the guy you've gotten and you just want to hold on to him, that's fine. But if you're in a dynasty or a keeper league, um, I think you can make a move there with Bogarts and, and maybe kind of a sneaky move, uh, to where you're, you're banking on his situation being worse next year than it is this year. Does he ever hit 30 home runs again? Remember he took 614 at bats to hit the 33 homers. Yeah. Which- I think it really depends on where he ends up. Um, it's going to be hard to find a better place to hit and to hit those home runs, you know, than in the AL East. Um, so, uh, you know, it depends on where he ends up, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on him at 30 home runs again. Does he ever hit 27 homers again? See, I love Xander Bogarts. I just have no confidence that his power is going to rebound to high twenties or I don't think, I don't think he sees 30 again and he has no speed on top of it. And when he has 614 at bats, he hit 33 homers, drove in 117 runs. He has that skill. He's capable and he's a great hitter. There's no doubt about it. I just don't see it happening again. Never had a double digit barrel, right? Um, you know, he, that's just not his game. Uh, yeah. he, he's a line drive, even ground ball hitter. Um, it's not his game to hit, 
to hit the ball in the air and hit the ball hard in the air. That's just not the type of hitter he is. And and if he tries to do that, maybe there's some adjustment that happens for Bogarts, who's you know still on the right side of 30 years old uh, for just a little bit longer. Um, you know, maybe he makes some adjustment as, as we've seen some players do in the in their 30s and starts to just commit to more power. So maybe that's an adjustment he makes with a higher launch angle. Um, that's going to suppress his batting average if he does do that, though. Jeff McNeil is next on the list, sixth overall with a 50-point difference between his expected batting average, which is 274, and his actual batting average, which is 324. And basically, this is kind of a similar situation where Jeff McNeil is doing what Jeff McNeil does. The variance has been in, in I don't know, do we call it luck? Well, again, I'm going to look at BABIP. Um, you know, you look at last year, he had a, it was his only season under a 300 batting average. He hit 251. It was a down year for Jeff McNeil. Um, well, his BABIP was 280. Uh, his career marks 328. His, his BABIP's basically always been over 330. Um, and this year it's 354. So uh, the BABIP is high. I mean, th- this is the type of player he is, a low power, but get on base sort of guy. Um, he hit 23 home runs in 2019, kind of the same conversation we were having with Bogarts. Is he ever going to hit 20 home runs again? Is he ever going to hit 23 home runs again? That is just not the player Jeff McNeil is. Um, not to mention he did it in 510 at bats. Mm -hmm. Um, and this guy just has not been able to stay healthy. Now he has this year, he's got 219 at bats. So, but he's only got four home runs. I mean, again, that the, the whole power is not his game. He also doesn't steal bases. So you're purely relying on batting average and, and run scored to a certain degree, maybe RBIs as well in a good lineup that he's in this year. Um, but you need him to stay healthy and you need that BABIP to not drop to the 280 that it was last year. Overall, look, uh, I mean, you, you, this is what you got, at least with McNeil, we know like that's who he is. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that like, it's just purely a batting average thing, um, here. And, you know, you were maybe able to get a little bit of value on the fact that he had a down year last year, at that 251 batting average. Um, and he's back up to kind of where he should be. Um, Maybe not 324, but, you know, still still has been a 300 guy throughout his career. Great, you know, plate discipline, excellent plate discipline, just doesn't have the quality of contact. I'm trying to figure out as I'm looking at this, because we're working with these stats for the first time, expected stats, and we're just using it as an excuse to look at some players with some big differentials. Again, what we like to pay attention to is when the underlying indicators tell us a different story than the result stats do. Can you explain to me why his expected batting average was lower last year than it is this year, when by quality of contact accounts anyway, and even plate discipline, he's having a better year this year than oh, he's having a worse year this year than he had last year. In terms of expected batting average. Yeah, but I mean, his quality of contact is worse this year than it was last year. And yet his expected batting average is almost 20 points higher. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, again, we're, we're factoring in how hard does he hit the ball at this launch angle, yep. you know, or, you know, in the case of Jeff McNeil, who's got below average speed, um, they even factor in again, this is a change in expected batting average, uh, since 2019 is, um, they factor in sprint speed sort of on ground balls. Now it's not all ground balls. It's balls that are topped again, because this is all sort of just stat cast type numbers, not just like they don't look at ground balls. They look at launch angle and topped balls or balls that you hit under. So if you hit a ball that you top, meaning it's probably a ground ball, oftentimes a weak ground ball, 
if you have elite sprint speed, they're going to note that as you're going to beat it out. Yep. Um, you know, and so the, the, all to say that doesn't explain why there's the discrepancy, but it's to say that I'm not smart enough to know the discrepancy, <laughs> except for the fact that um, there's so much other factors involved purely than just what is like, how hard are they hitting the ball right. and what is their plate discipline? It is how hard are you hitting the ball at this launch angle, you know, to this side of the field. They factor all that in with expected batting average. So, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Overall, you'd look at it and you'd say, well, I would think that he's actually doing, you know, like think you know things should be different this year than they were last year in terms of that. But, um, you know, this I is, think that this is my thing with aggregate stats is there are a, a lot of times there's a black box involved here and there are certain things going on that we're not privy to. And yeah, there's some, obviously there's something in the equation that's figuring a little bit differently. His sprint speed is up from last year. Uh, from from the year before, of course, that may play into it. We don't know, which is why I just want to go back to the caution of we we're using it as a relative stat, and we're using it as um, we don't use any singular stat. There are no great stats that are going to tell you the whole story about a player. What we want to do is we want to look at the difference between underlying stats and results stats and find a difference and then talk about it and try to figure out why. So we take expected batting average as a way to call out players to talk about as opposed to a real demonstration because then we look at the player and say well geez does this make sense and mcneil is he, he does have better plate discipline this year than last he's always had great plate discipline it is yeah. improved this year he's striking out less he's swinging strike rates lower his contact rate is higher so his quality of contact is worse than last year his plate discipline is better so all in all somehow with all the other factors involved that means he has an 18 point you know, improvement in expected batting average from last year to this year. You know, it, it's, I guess it's the plate discipline that's really factoring in more than anything. Andrew Vaughn is an expected batting average of 272. He's got a 318 batting average on the year with six homers. It's a pretty good year for the second year star. Why in the world were they not starting him from the start? <laughs> I cannot figure out what Tony LaRusse is thinking. Um, not only were they not starting him early in the earlier in the season, uh, or at least starting him regularly, when they play him, it's like Tony Larusso was batting him ninth. Like th this is, I, I just okay. I mean, he's he's a number two hitter. I mean, at worst, he's a number two hitter, isn't he? You want a guy with this yeah, type I of mean, contact it, skills and plate approach as your number two hitter? He could be the cornerstone of the White Sox offense. And the I mean, they got obviously a number of young, talented uh, hitters. But I mean, Vaughn was a number three overall pick. You know, in 2019, he was spectacular. You know, in college, he you know showed really promising stuff. You know, early in the minor leagues. Um, and then hit 15 home runs his rookie season last year in 417 at bats. Um, all to say, like Vaughn's a really good hitter. And then for some reason, they just were so slow to commit to this guy. Um, what I love about it is again, he's a he's definitely a power hitter, excellent plate discipline. Uh, 17% swinging or sorry, 17% strikeout rate, 7.6% swinging strike rate. Uh, you know, he doesn't walk quite as much as you'd want at the same time. Like, I think that's going to come as, as he develops more and as he becomes more of a threat, um, and you know, an 83% contact rate. So the plate discipline is great. Now, actually, even though I, I say he's, a, he's an elite power hitter, the quality of contacts, a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde, um, you know, good average exit velocity, good hard hit rate, barrel rates, only 4.8%, um, probably still hitting the ball too low with too low yep. of a launch angle, a sub 10, 
uh, degree launch angle. Um, I, you know, for a guy with his power and his contact, I'd love to see that more in the mid teens because I think that's going to help with the home runs. He's only got six home runs this year. I think that's going to come. I, I mean, again, this guy's only 24 years old. He's, he's really in his first full, full season. Um, I think it's going to come. I think he's going to develop that. Um, and so his, his batting average is probably a little bit high. Um, I think his home runs though are a little bit low. So I, I, I'm not at all concerned about the discrepancy there between his expected batting average and batting average. No, long-term, and we don't have a lot of track record on him as a pro, so we don't really know what his lift is, but the lift hasn't been great. It's 9.7 launch angle, 9.1 launch angle this year, 9.7 last year, 36% fly ball percentage. You'd like to see that closer to 40. You'd like to see that launch angle go into the teens, and you expect that's going to happen when he gets comfortable in the lineup. Like he said, Tony La Russa kind of jerked him around a little bit earlier in his career. He's still only 586 at-bats into his major league career and hasn't had that ability to just settle in he's got to be at this point thinking i'm a major league hitter because he's hitting like a major league hitter he's got to feel comfortable with that as soon as he starts feeling comfortable about not looking over his shoulder for a bats i'm an everyday player i belong here and i belong in the lineup every day when he starts feeling that you expect the lift to come we just don't have a lot of tr track record to show us that it's going to come but when he gets comfortable and when contact is less of an issue for him that natural lift is going to come because he's, he's got tremendous raw power. So the game power is going to come in and it's He's going to be spectacular at that point. He's going to be a really good offensive contributor. He's going to kind of rewrite first base in a lot of respects, I think. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that Vaughn is on the way to becoming a, not only a real life star, but a fantasy star as well. Mm -hmm. Um, he was a guy who hit 23 home runs in, in college and in, in, in the college game. That's, that's a lot. Um, he was the best hitter in college. Um, you know, his last year with Cal, uh, he's, he's got the power, he's got the build, he's got the, you know, he's got the plate discipline. All of it is there. Um, he just needs to continue to develop. But again, I mean, even if this is the downside of it, you know, the batting average has been good, but even if the power wise, it's the downside, he's still having a really nice season. Um, and I think continue to improve on this, but I, I think the power is going to come. I think he's, I think he's a 30 to 35 home run guy, um, who's going to be able to hit for a decent batting average as well. Yeah. He's probably a two, he's 260, 265, 270 batting average as a floor. You would think he'd pre mm -hmm. feel pretty comfortable betting on that. Yeah, with this sort of contact, and again, as he lifts that launch angle, that contact rate of 83% probably comes down a little bit, but I mean, 83% is an elite contact rate, especially for a power hitter. So even if it comes down to 78%, yeah, let's say, I mean, that's a guy who could, he could, yeah, 260 floor. I mean, he could be a 290 hitter. Yeah, I make that I make that deal contact for power with a guy like this because he's not going to lose. He's not going to be an abysmal hitter, even if he starts to reach for power a little bit. And uh, again, my only thing is, for, as a pro, I don't know if the lift is there. You got to reason out that it's going to be. And by the way, he's got enough power so that if he doesn't ever develop terrific lift, he's still going to be able to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah, I just blame Tony Larusa for everything. I, I I just can't understand what they were doing with this. I mean, they they just screwed that up. And the what? Okay, we're not talking about that. Chicago doesn't feel that way though. Well, they can't stand Tony Larusa. Yeah, and rightfully so. Um, I I just he, he has been he's been terrible. I mean, the White Sox are loaded with talent, and they're under five hundred. There's actually he's actually become a worse manager than Dusty Baker, which I wouldn't. Have. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, no, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, he is screwed. I mean, the worst is the lie. I, I remember there was a game about a month ago where he had Leori Garcia hitting second and Andrew Vaughn hitting ninth. Yeah. Doesn't like, make any what sense. are you thinking? Like, this makes no sense. And, and for a while, again, they weren't even starting Andrew Vaughn on a regular basis. Then Eloy Jimenez got hurt, and they kind of were forced to. Uh, but they should have been from the beginning. He should be an everyday starter for them. And again, if anything, for the development of him, and I know that the White Sox aren't in rebuilding mode and aren't in development mode, but like you got to get him out there playing every day. And they weren't doing that. It limited his growth uh, and also just hurt their overall team because he he's a he's a bat that needs to be in their lineup instead of Leori Garcia. Now we've been talking trade here on the serious show and here, and we're going to talk about trade a little bit going forward because it's trade season. This is a target guy. I mean, if you've got someone who isn't particularly educated about who Andrew Vaughn is or who Andrew Vaughn's going to be, he's, he could look like a pretty mediocre first base option at this point. He's a guy to ask about. Oh yeah. No question about it. Um, I, I would, I would jump all over Andrew Vaughn, uh, and, and, you know, try to acquire that. Cause I think the power is coming. So, um, you know, a guy that maybe people, I, you know, I don't want to say people are disappointed, but in some minds maybe hasn't lived up to the top prospect pedigree, the number three overall pick pedigree. But I, I, I mean, he's getting there. He's, he's, he's developing yeah. that way. And again, I, I just think the, the plate discipline is so encouraging for a guy who we just know has that that power and that that's going to come. And again, it's it's mid June. Uh, there's going to be some warm months there in Chicago, and so th the power could come in bunches for him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we speak a month from now. Yeah, and you know he's sitting there with maybe like fifteen to twenty home runs. That's what I was just going to say. The prices will never be lower, and this is going to turn in a heartbeat. And I think it turns the summer. I think by the end of the summer, we're understanding who Andrew Vaughn is from a power prospect standpoint. Yeah, I, I would be all and again, the the focus of this podcast, the expected batting average. So I'm going to say, yeah, probably his batting average is going to drop. It's 314 right now. He probably doesn't hit over 300 this season, but it's still, I think, good enough. Again, the contact is all there. The plate discipline is all there. The quality of contact is all there to still end up with a good batting average. And what's going to come along is the power. Yeah, go trade Christian Walker for Andrew Vaughn at this point. Yeah. <laughs> go find somebody again. If you find somebody who doesn't understand who Andrew Vaughn is, now's a good time to at least uh, talk to them about a deal at this point. Uh, Manny Machado, we've talked about several times during the course of the season, and his expected batting average is 286. His actual batting average is 327 after last night. He's still having a terrific season. The power, the quality of contact is down a little bit, and the power expectations are down just a hair, not not an alarming point, but down just a little bit. Uh, and we're looking at a recovery there, and, and he's just about on pace for last year, but he's doing it without the same quality of contact as last year. And again, I'm maybe I'm looking at the indicators more than I'm looking at the result stats because the result stats have been pretty good. But his indicators, you know, his quality of contact indicators are down. And we've talked about this a couple of times before. It's beginning to look like last year was an aberration more than a level that Manny Machado can repeat on a regular basis. Yeah, I think that's a good point. As last year was almost a career year in terms of quality of contact. Now, he only hit 278. Um, I think some of that was just bad luck last year. He probably should have done better last year. 
Um, but his quality of contact actually looks a lot more similar to other seasons in his career. Um, although, you know, his barrel rate is just so low for a power hitter like yeah. Manny Machado, 6.4%. Um, that's concerning a little bit to me and, you know, maybe describes why despite making great contact and, you know, hitting the ball in the air a sufficient amount, he still has only 11 home runs. Not that 11 home runs is terrible, but, you know, we're, this isn't, he's not on the leaderboard right now of home runs. Um, and it's again, because he's not really hitting a lot of, barrels um his batting average has been great um but his BABIP is just sky high 365 his his career batting average 300 again this is a fly ball hitter so typically fly ball hitters have lower BABIPs so for him to have a 365 BABIP is uh is probably a little out of whack with where it should be and there's probably some luck involved with that um and yeah his overall quality of contact is Good, not elite, not spectacular. Um, and we talk about the expected stats. We, we, you know, we mentioned the expected batting average, but his expected slugging percentage is about 60 points lower than his actual slugging percentage. Expected WOBA is 40 points lower than his actual WOBA. Um, his He makes good contact. He doesn't strike out a ton for a power hitter, um, but you know, nothing here tells me he should be having this career year um, and particularly a career year in batting average. But right now that's where he's at. So I expect the regression to come. Um, and I just don't love the power quality of contact right now to tell me he's going to reach the 30 home runs he, he was reaching regularly, you know, years ago. Usually when you have a low barrel percentage, but you have a decent uh, average launch uh, launch angle, you start to look at infield flies. And I'll just look, he's a 13.7% infield fly guy in, in his career. They were talking pop-ups the last three years. Uh, in 2019, 13.7, 10.3 in 20, 13% in 21, and 18.3% this year so far. So he's been mm -hmm. popping up the ball a little bit more. His soft contact is up over the last couple of years, a little bit. So these numbers can be and are being, well, skewed is the wrong word because it is telling us the story, are being affected by uh, some some poor quality of contact balls that's kind of distracting away from the regular. That's kind of, that's some of the difference, in, at least in that barrel percentage. Yeah, no, no question about it. I, I think that's a great point. If you don't look at infield pop-ups and, and on fan graphs, you can scroll down to bat a ball, it's IFFB. Um, I, I think that that's a really valuable stat that I do think people overlook sometimes. And it's one of those ones that you get to, <laughs> you know, it's not where you start. It's where you get oh, to it. Yeah. Um, because like you're saying, he's a fly ball hitter, meaning he hits the ball in the air. And that 16.3% um, looks good. It's, it's a little high. You want around 15, I guess, but it's a little bit high and it looks good, but that might be artificially inflated by the infield flies. Yeah, completely. Yeah. So too many uh, weak pop ups. And that that's, you know, that's not what you want. Um, because weak pop ups are going to be the easiest out in a, ba a bat of balls in the game. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall, like, y y it's just telling me that that batting average is inflated, that batting average is going to come down. And I'm not so convinced the home runs are going to come up. And so, you know, Manny Machado is still a good hitter. Uh, you know, I mean, he's still gonna end up with some nice numbers. But these elite MVP type numbers he's had kind of through the first couple months. Um, I, I think we're going to see some regression there and I don't think he's going to end up with those sorts of numbers. 
All right, we've got a couple of minutes left, and let's flip the page. There are some guys here left on the list that aren't particularly interesting. I want to go back to some of the players we talked about on the serious show, guys on the other end of the spectrum whose actual batting average is considerably lower than their expected batting average. And the guy I want to start out with is Christian Walker with his 278 expected batting average and 201 uh, actual batting average. And here's a guy that may be discounted because of his sub 200 batting average at this point he's 201 when we did this uh with this chart but i think he's at 198 now so he's sub 200 at at this point and that may be suppressing his value to the point where if we're talking trade christian walker might be a guy you want to target and you know this goes back to what we were talking about about buying skill set um yep. with a player is um you're certainly not buying his 198 batting average you're 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 assuming that that's going to improve but i'm going to buy the fact that this guy crushes the ball. I mean, his quality of contact is fantastic. Uh, 91 mile per hour average exit velocity, uh, 47% hard hit rate. Um, you know, his launch angle is 18, per, 18 degrees. Barrel rate is 15.5%. I mean, just really, really good overall numbers. Meanwhile, um, he has improved this year in plate discipline. So, you know, his contact rate 75%. It's not great, but for a power hitter, I, I'll take it. It's fine. Um, his swinging strike rate, he's dropped to below 11%. That's really good. He's, his walks are up, his strikeouts are down. Um, so he's improved his plate discipline. His quality of contact is fantastic. And yet his batting average is 198. Well, there's a simple explanation here. His BABIP is 184. And it's mm-hmm. just, he's just had constant bad luck. And remember, BABIP does not factor in home runs. So 16 of his hits this year have been home runs. And he doesn't have a lot of hits. I mean, he's got 45 hits and 16 of them are home runs. Um, so that means that it's, what, what, how many uh, hits did I say he had? He had uh, uh, 45 hits. So that means, yeah, he has 29 non-home run hits so when you're factoring in BABIP there's only 29 batted balls in play that have turned into hits yeah Um, that's the denominator which skews the whole number right and so it's just like he's just had bad luck look this is a guy who's crushing the ball and just and it's it's showing in home runs because the 16 home runs are really good so you're seeing the quality of contact in terms of the power you're just not seeing it in the batting average and you should he sh- and so when you see the expected batting average in the 270s, I, I mean, honestly, I think that's where he should be. Good play discipline or good enough plate discipline for a power hitter. Great quality of contact. Uh, you're getting the home runs out of him. You're not getting the batting average. You're gonna. I, I, th- this batting average is going to turn around. And so, you know, we talked about this on the Series XM show. But in terms of trade candidates, I, I want I want to acquire Christian Walker if I can. I think you're going to get that batting average uh, up. And that means from the time you acquire him now through the end of the season, we're actually probably going to see a batting average significantly higher. Um, If he continues to hit this way, I have no reason to believe otherwise. And yet you're already getting the home runs. So I I love Christian Walker and I love buying the skill set. I think he's got the skill set. Yeah. And the skill set is in, it's in his history. It's in his, this is not an outlying skill set. The only thing that's outlying at this point is his plate discipline at 10.8 swing strike, 25% chase rate at 31. You don't necessarily see those types of gains. So you have a right to be a little bit leery about that, but the quality of contact shows in his history. It's there. He has the skill set. He's capable of doing it. Uh, This is part of who he is. So I wouldn't be questioning that so much. His plate discipline, I'd question at this point. And that's fair. And, and, And maybe there is some regret that comes with this plate discipline and that that's very possible at the same time um the big key here is a 287 career BABIP and it's 184 right now so if he lifts 
you know, lifts that up as he should. There's no reason. Nothing tells me his BABIP should be uh, like low, let alone this low. Um, again, for a guy with this sort of quality of contact, there's just nothing to tell me that it should be a low BABIP. Um, and it's extraordinarily low. And so um, even with, a, you know, some regression in plate discipline, which is possible, there's going to be great positive regression in BABIP. Uh, which is is overall encouraging for me to tell me that he's gonna he's gonna get some balls in play that uh, that actually land and and fall for hits. Okay, we're running a little bit long, and I want to get to Max Kepler before we leave, but we do have to talk about Corey Seager because the general consensus on Corey Seager is he's having a not so great season, but that basically comes down to batting average of two twenty eight because the rest of his numbers are pretty good, and the expected batting average tells you that he hasn't got what he deserved in batting average either. He's sitting at two twenty eight, and his expected batting average is two ninety three. Great quality of contact with Corey Seager. Um, you know, 91 mile per hour average exit velocity, 44% hard hit rate. It's down slightly than his last couple of years in LA. Um, you know, and there's a number of factors. He's he he's adjusting to a new team and a big contract as well. So maybe putting a little pressure. Big contract. I guess that's an understatement for a guy who made three hundred and twenty-five million dollars. <laughs> um, but overall, his quality of contact is still very good, well above average. Um, his plate discipline this is a guy who has has always kind of had a high swinging strike rate, but doesn't strike out a lot. Um, so I think that's, that's a factor. He's aggressive early in the count, but has a good feel for the strikes out strike zone, um, still walks a good amount. So I'm still, you know, fine with his quality of contact. Um, uh, sorry, with his plate discipline, his qu- quality of contact's really good. Uh, d- doesn't tell me why, you know, his batting average should be 228. Um, but again, his BABIP is a hundred points lower than his career mark. It's 228. His, his batting average is 228. His BABIP is 228. His career BABIP is 326. Um, so I'm going to look at a BABIP that should be much, much higher, which should raise his batting average. Maybe not to the level that he's been the last couple of years. Cause again, his quality of contact is down slightly. Um, so again, maybe he's not the 300, 306, 307 hitter. He was the last couple of years with the Dodgers, but he should be more in like the two nineties, which is again, where his expected batting average is. So, um, I, I, I think that, yeah, he's had some bad luck. I think Corey Seager's a buy low candidate as well. And, and you're seeing the home runs. It's a guy who's never hit more than 26 home runs, mm-hmm. but he could, he could top that this year. He's already mm-hmm. got 13. He needed 627 at-bats to get those 26 home runs, but that seems like a pretty... He's going to hit the 25 based on the start that he's had. And again, this start came in April and May and what was going on with the offense then. So he got a good start. The weather's warming up and he's going to continue to hit for homers. His quality of contact is good. Plate discipline, everything is about the same. So if he just maintains this pace, he's going to get... All he's going to do is hit 13 homers in the remaining part of the season to match that 26. Yeah, absolutely. And the Rangers overall are, are starting to pick it up offensively as a team, the weather warmer. And so we've all, and we've talked about Marcus Semi, and we know what he's been able to do turning things around, but I think Corey Seager is going to turn things around as well. And so, yeah, Rangers offense, Rangers offense overall is a by, you know, what by low sort of, you know, proposition. You can't really buy a whole offense unless you're, you know, betting on them. But um, I, I, I think that there's some positive things there with that offense that they spent a whole lot of money on in the offseason. And I mentioned at the beginning of this when we were talking about uh, quality contact stats and all these all these things that are quantifiable and how they don't always translate into result stats because there are all of the all other kinds of factors going on here. And there's a lot of volatility in performance, even with the same underlying indicators like 
the consistency and the quality of contact that Paul Goldschmidt shows us, for example. Max Kepler is the poster child for this particular concept because you can't figure out what Max Kepler is going to do, except we know he hits the ball hard. Max Kepler is such a frustrating guy from a fantasy perspective because I love him. I just love his skill set. No player that it's more you know emblematic of buying the skill set than Max Kepler. Uh, you know, this is a guy who makes really good contact. His quality of contact numbers are excellent. Um, and yet throughout his career, his numbers have been pretty pedestrian besides one season where he hit 36 home runs. That was back in 2019. Um, still his batting average was low 252. Um, uh, but everybody would take the 252 36 home run season again, but he's only got six home runs this year, uh, with a 245 batting average. And that's in spite of, actually some encouraging signs. So Kepler's always been a high fly ball guy and he's, he's, he's actually hitting the ball more ground balls, more line drives this year. I like that because that tells me his BABIP should be a little bit higher. He's always had a low BABIP because of the high fly ball rate. Um, but his BABIP really isn't much higher. It's only 263 this year. And I, I feel like when you look at his overall numbers, it's like, man, that BABIP should be higher. And again, this is what the XBA is telling us. His expected batting average is 309, and he's only hitting 245. I also feel like the home runs should be up. Again, quality of contact. We're talking about a guy who has really good, solid quality of contact, plus 40% hard hit rate, average exit velocity right around 90 miles per hour. His barrel rate is is good, not great, 9, 9%, but it's good. Um, you know, and, and again, play discipline's all there. So, his BABIP, uh, I feel like, even though it's kind of right in line with his career numbers, is still too low. His home run to fly ball rate is 10.7%. I think that's way too low. Mm -hmm. I just think the other things tell us differently, and this expected batting average agrees. Yet, what do you do with a guy who just has not only one year really had a very good year? By the way, his previous expected batting average high was 259. His expected batting average right now is 309. That would be a career high. His expected slugging 543 is a career high by nearly 100 points at this point. He's having an incredible season from the type of stats that expected batting average and expected slugging look at, quality of contact and the other factors. And he's always been a pretty good uh, plate approach type of guy. He's a good hitter. It just it feels like Tremors like there's going to be an eruption here at this point. Like he's going to have a really big month at some point this year or something. All we have to do is figure out what causes this volatility in his result stats because he does what we want him to do pretty consistently. He has a great plate approach and he hits the ball hard. And the other factor with this, and, and we, we talked about this on the radio show, is he essentially became a platoon guy last year. He was miserable against lefties. He's a lefty himself. He was miserable against lefties last year. So sort of became a platoon guy. Well, he's completely turned that around. He's actually hitting lefties a little bit better this year. And so he's an everyday player. He, you, you're not particularly worried whether he's facing a lefty or a righty. He has power against both, although, you know, five of his six home runs are against righties, but that's also because he's faced righties a whole lot more. Just in terms of his ISO and his overall numbers, like he, he's still showing power against uh, lefties. Uh, batting average is better against lefty. So like, he's not the splits guy that you're worried about. He's, he's able to play every day. All the numbers kind of tell me he should be just having a really, really nice season and, and outperforming his draft value, all of that. But it just hasn't quite been the case yet. Um, I, you know, I, I, again, this is, I'm just going to, 
you got to stick to what you do. And and for me, it's like, I'm going to continue to buy the, buy the skill set on Max Kepler. I, I, I might do this the rest of his career and never bank on it. But nope. I just feel like in, in, if you take the approach of buying guys with a good skill set, more often than not, it's going to work out for you. Statcast says he's having the best skill year of his career so far, and the numbers haven't shown up. The numbers have to catch up to it eventually. And again, I'm with you. Buy the skill set. You may not have it may not have a payoff for you, but <clears throat> it's going to pay off for you. It's it's about process. It's about doing the same thing over and over, making quality decisions on players. If this guy somehow gets cut or is laying around for you out there, you've got to ride with him for a while because you might catch that point where things happen. And you mentioned it during the serious show. I think it's a great point. He gets traded or a change of scenery at this point might be all the all he needs. Yeah, I mean, and I look. I don't know. I don't think the Twins are going to do that. They have him at a good value. Um, they signed him back in 2019 to a five-year, $35 million contract. That's incredible value. Um, so that was a smart signing for the Twins. So, you know, it, it would have to be an interesting trade to get that done. But I, I just I just wonder for a guy like this who spent his entire career with one team and kind of constantly underperformed again, except for that that one season, um, does, does he go to a place that just needs a fresh change of scenery or a place that's better equipped, uh, for his left-handed bat? Uh, I mean, this is pure speculation. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but I, I just, sometimes I just think he's got to get out of Minnesota. I mean, just why does every year he puts up these good overall, you know, skill set numbers, and then it just doesn't correlate. M- not to mention too, he's got some speed also. I mean, he stole 10 bases last yep. year. I think that. He's only got two stolen bases this year, but I think he has the speed. Part of it, he's got to get on base. <laughs> and he's just not getting on base enough because his BABIP's too low. Um, but I think this is a double-digit, a 10-stolen-base sort of guy. He does have above-average speed. So I just love Max Kepler. I really do, and I have him in a bunch of places because I'm going to keep buying that skill set. But, I mean, yeah, I get I it. We've been I talking it. about him for years at Fantastics, and I've owned a lot of shares, and, of course, it paid off in 2019. And, you know, maybe we're searching in vain for that next great payoff, but his performance level, again, on the underlying indicators, show that the skill set that we bet on is still there. It's a matter of it all coming together. And I don't know. I can't figure out what the intangible is that's keeping his volatility and his performance levels. Because again, all he does is come to the plate with a great plate approach and hits the ball hard. And usually that results in good things. Hasn't for him so far, but God, luck's got to catch up a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. And again, he had 19 home runs and 426 at bats last year. So you add a hundred at bats, let's say, and he gets to the low five hundreds. That's maybe another three, four, five home runs. Uh, so you know he 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 might not have had as bad a year as we think last year. Although the batting average was still just super super low. So power wise, um, you know he he should be better than the six home runs he's got right now. And again, I think the batting average should be a lot higher because I think he's actually made gains this year for in his batting average. So. The numbers should be better. I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, if you're a Max Kepler owner, I, I just stick with it. I, I, I think I think it's going to come around. I think I think you you still have uh, the bright side of the season ahead. 
All right, check out past episodes here of the podcast here on Apple or Google or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. And, of course, at InsideOfBaseball.com, where you can also flip on over to the InsideOfBaseball.com baseball blog and uh, catch some samples of the things that we give to our subscribers on a daily basis. The uh, podcasts are free to non-subscribers, so check them out as well. Subscribe to us if you're on one of the podcast outlets so you know when we drop an episode. Everyone have a great day, and we'll catch you next time on the Inside of Baseball podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's go!